0: All right, if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Numbers again. Sometimes throughout the year we'll be doing our Bible study in different books. Sometimes we'll repeat the same book um, and you'll know, get a different lesson from that. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Numbers chapter 20. This is an incredibly interesting story. And if we'll let it, you know, sometimes, sometimes we miss the application. Um, I was talking to someone, in fact, I'll tell you, it was Joe Mitchell, we were waiting to go on surgery and we were talking about, they appreciated a certain message that had been preached. And they said, Dwayne, you make it applicable. You make it how we apply it to our lives. And that really is my goal as a teacher of the Word of God. is I don't impress you how many Greek words I know, which would take about a second. Okay? I'd rather be able to break the Word of Life and give it to you in a way that applies to your life. Okay? And this message tonight, now listen real carefully. You believers in Jesus who've walked with God a long time um, or a short time, but you're fully devoted followers of Christ, this is a message of warning for you. A message of warning for you. A good warning for you. Um, It's about a guy, and you'll pick up real quick. Matter of fact, you probably all know who it is. This is about a guy who was faithful with God for 40 years. For 40 years. He, He went through, oh my goodness, leading a people that often rebelled against God and often rebelled against Him. He led this people on a journey to the ultimate promised land. And then, on the brink, in the 40-year in the, in the journey, in the 40th year, he sins in such a way that God says, you can't go in. Think about that. 40 years of faithful service. 40 years of singing, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Who will go with me? I am bound for the promised land. in the 40th year, he sins in such a way that God says, you can't go. And you know what's crazy? It was because of a bunch of people. It was because he got drugged in with somebody else's sin. And you're going to discover it's awful easy to do in this world of sin that we live in, when someone else sins, it's awfully easy to get pulled down with them and create a sin. If someone offends you, to sin the sin of anger. If someone offends you, to sin the sin of unforgiveness. To A certain circumstance overtakes you, that involves other people, and you get bitter in the process. And you become a sinner yourself in the sense of being drugged down by their sin. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Moses. We're talking about Moses. In Numbers chapter 20, the story goes something like this. Now, remember, I'm going to show you in just a moment, but they're in their 40th year of the journey. Okay? We're there. We're in chapter 21 this morning. We just backed up perhaps a month is all. Okay? All right? The Bible says the entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Now, Kadesh, they had been to Kadesh before, and they returned in. Kadesh was an oasis. Okay? And it was a place, obviously the desert, where you could go and you could almost always find water. Okay? It seemed logical, watch this now, as a leader, if you had two million people, where would you lead your people? To a place where there's water. That just makes sense. All right? So he turns the people and they land at Kadesh. So he settled there. Miriam died and was buried there. Now who's Miriam? Miriam is Moses' sister. Okay? And she died. All right? Now, in, in Numbers 33, 38, and again, I've got these typed out for speed, okay? The Bible says, At the Lord's command, Aaron the priest, Aaron is Moses' brother, okay? Aaron the priest climbed Mount Hor and died there on the first day of the fifth month in the 40th year after the Israelites went out from the land of Egypt. So so Aaron died in the 40th year Moses dies shortly after Aaron, and according to what I read in our commentaries in the Greek structure, or excuse me, the Hebrew structure, there is no way that more than a few months could have passed between chapter 20 and chapter 33. So within a few month period, at the end of the journey, Miriam dies, Aaron dies, and finally Moses dies. All right, So that's the setting that we have. For 40 years they followed God. They're on the edge of the promised land after wandering around the desert for 40 years. The Bible says then there was no water for the community. Okay? Now again, the leader did what was logical. He went where there should have been water, but he got there and there was no water. At that particular time, Kadesh had dried up. But this, and all some people need is an excuse. Let me say it again. All some people need is an excuse. And that was the excuse that the people used to once again to rear up against the leadership of God and whine and complain, as if Moses sent spies ahead to Kadesh, found out that the place was dry and said, oh, let's go to Kadesh, ha, 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 there's no water. But sometimes all people need who are disappointed, who are disillusioned, who are just starting to despise the things that God's been here this morning. All they need is an excuse to complain. And that's exactly what happens. There was no water for the community, so they, they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Now, now, time out. What's different there? What's different from that this morning? Who are they complaining against here? Moses and Aaron. Yes, the leaders of God, but their, their, their wrath, if you will, is directed toward a man. With God as the underlying factor. What about this morning? They complained against God and against Moses. And you're going to see a difference, I think, in the judgment of God. This morning, when they directly detested God and complained against God, God sent fiery serpents, but God responds in an entirely different way here tonight. For a couple of reasons, I think. Alright? So the Bible says they complained against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said... Now this is just crazy. This is... Listen. Listen at me. This is how you talk okay, when you're discouraged, disillusioned, and you start detesting. This is how you talk when you're carnal. This is how you talk when you're out of fellowship with God, all right? It makes abs- you start making absolutely no common sense, no spiritual common sense. Here's what they say. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. So they come to this place where there's supposed to be water, and there's not water. Okay? They, they've wandered now for 40 years. They're tired of wandering. They're probably just not in a good mood. Alright? And they say, you know, it's been better. It's been better back when that golden calf thing happened that God would just killed us then. Or, or, you know, know when, when the sons of Korah raised up against God and the earth opened up and swallowed them all? It would have just been better for us if we'd experienced God's judgment right then. Or, or, you know, remember that fiery serpent thing? That's going to, or, excuse me, look forward to the fiery serpent thing that's going to happen in a while. It would just be better if we just died. Isn't that crazy? Not, not only that Egypt was better, but it had been better to experience the judgment of God than to end up in a place where there's no water. Is that not twisted thinking? And I'm telling you guys, here are your pastor tonight. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Once your mind gets messed up with discouragement and disillusionment, you start detesting things, nothing sensible comes out of your mouth spiritually. You've got to be aware of that. When you start making no sense spiritually, watch out. It's a danger sign that somebody named Satan is messing with your brain. Can I have an amen? Be careful. I've seen it, guys. I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I can't take time. I'll get discouraged about something and I'll make some stupid comment about, I'm going to work at Walmart. I, there's got to be a better way to make a living. I mean, how crazy. I Listen, if I didn't preach, I would die. And I didn't die. I no more want to work at Walmart than man But sometimes these stupid things, and that's a sign again that you're out of fellowship with God and you start talking stu- spiritual stupidity. And that's exactly what happens here. He goes on and says this. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us in our lost lives? I thought, like, Moses, you did this intentionally. I'm, I'm certain that you called ahead. You know, you called the welcome desk at, at K Oasis. Hi, this is Moses, and I've got two million people here. I'm looking border. water. How are the springs? Well, they're dried up. Great, we'll be there in two days. Moses didn't plan that. But again, when you're messed up mentally, you start making crazy accusations like that. You know, why have you brought us here in our lives so we can die? Why have. Now, watch this. Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us this evil place? Hello, was Egypt, joy? was Egypt not an evil place? I mean, the last I remember the Bible talking not Egypt, as I said this morning, there were taskmasters. You woke up, you're in bondage, you worked all day, you may have got some onions and leeks for supper, and you may die during the night. If you didn't die, you woke up and did it all over again. Egypt was not this wonderful thing, but when your mind is twisted spiritually, Egypt starts looking good. Whenever the past looks better than the future, and the past being Egypt, watch out. When you, start say, when you start saying God is not faithful, and yet the world was, watch out. And it can happen to anyone. There are some good people in this group. There are some rebel rousers, but there are some good people in this group. All right. So, so, so why did you do this? It's not a place of grain. Figs, vines, pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Now, I don't know if A, they're talking about Kadesh. And again, Moses could reply and go, Guys, I didn't know. I mean, logic tells you you go to an oasis for water. Or if they're talking about the wilderness. I mean, I mean, if they're talking about the fact they've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, if this place replies to 40 years of wilderness wandering, it's like Moses could go, uh, duh, that's why they call it a wilderness. Of course. See, once again, this is not heaven. This is the world. The best life comes in a place called heaven. If you look for your best life now in the sense that everything's good, all things work good, you're going to be disappointed in God. It's just going to happen. So I don't know if they were referring to Kadesh or to the wilderness wandering, but the bottom line is, A, Moses didn't know, and B, the wilderness was not the promised land. And children, this is not the promised land. This is not the promised land. In the sense of heaven. Okay. Moses and Aaron do something very sensible. Very wise. And listen now. Okay, so, so when, you're, when you look around you and you see people sinning, what should you do? Well, several things. One is, you go to God. Say, go to God. You go to God. Okay, so. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. They left the disgruntled... No common sense, spiritually people, and they went to the doorway of the tent of meeting. That was God's place. They fell down with their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now, again, according to the record that we have here, you don't. Moses doesn't even go. God, they're at it again. They're at, these people. I tell you, God, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. They just can't trust you. They don't trust me. They don't da da da, da. Oh God, oh God, oh. God. There's nothing. They fall down and like God already knew. So here's what he says. The Lord spoke to Moses. Hey, Moses, take the staff, the one from the beginning, the one, the shepherd's staff that they brought with them, the one that budded, the one that he smacked the Nile with, turned to blood. Take the staff and assemble the community. You now this is really cool. You and your brother Aaron are to speak. To the rock while they watch. And it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. Now, of course, isn't this incredibly different, Deborah, than it was this morning? is it incredible? You know, first off, God sends His fiery serpent, you know, and people are dying. And yet almost in a gentle way, God says, okay, this is what you need to do. Now, I might be, I don't want to read anything in the scriptures. I really try to avoid that. But it almost appears here that God's going to bring glory to himself, but in the process, he sets this up in a way where Moses' leadership will be reaffirmed. Moses is going to be one that speaks to the rock Rock, bring forth water, and it will. And something's going to happen. Hopefully they won't go, oh, wow, Moses is God. We don't want that to happen. But it's really cool that maybe, just perhaps, that they'll go, you know what? Moses must be a godly man. Maybe, just maybe, he didn't bring us to Kadesh, a dry spring, on purpose. It seems like God is preparing to understrengthen, to gird, to gird and strengthen Moses. Would you agree with that? Do you see that in there? It seems to be. Now, this is what's really cool. Watch this. In in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go there in a minute. I just want to grab a nugget right now. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, we read these words. Talking about the children of Israel in this instance. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul thought that in some manifest way that the rock represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And that rock went with them. God was with the children of Israel. In fact, Jesus was with the children of Israel. The Holy Spirit was with the children of Israel. And manifest ways through a pillar of cloud or through a rock the entire time they were in the wilderness. God didn't lead them. And what does He tell Moses to do? Now stay with me. Talk to the rock. What do you do when you need God to do something? You talk to the rock. Come on, children. Get a little nugget here. You talk to the rock. You go and you say, Father, in Jesus' name, I plead. You talk to the rock. And in talking to the rock, who gets the glory? God does. Have you ever heard the term, she is a prayer warrior? He is a prayer warrior? This is That's a beautiful picture of this. When a man or woman of God in desperate straits learns to talk to the rock, God gets the glory, but people go, He's connected with God. And when you're in trouble, who do you find? A prayer warrior. Come on, a prayer warrior. Do you see the connection there? It's beautiful New Testament typology. That God calls us to prayer, talk to the rock. He'll get the glory in the situation. But your your position as a follower of Jesus Christ is affirmed in the world. And people make connection. He knows God. She knows God. And when they're in trouble, who are they gonna come to? The person who can talk to the rock. Is this making sense? Okay. Isn't that cool? I think that's incredible. So God does this incredible thing. So we're all set up. And you know, okay, we got it right. Okay. We're gonna go out there, we're gonna assemble the people, I'm gonna talk to the rock. And the water's going to come out. Have you ever read a crowd before? So he assembles the group of people. And remember what they were before? Let me give you a refresher course. If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why had you brought us? Why? I just say, why? Why you, have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us this evil place? They ain't changed a lick, folks. They weren't a friendly crowd when he went away, and they weren't a friendly crowd when he came back. And I guess when he got up there and saw them, something didn't go right. Remember all the faith he had in the tabernacle? When God said, speak to the rock? Remember how good the plan sounded? talk to the rock, water will come out, build a connection, God gets the glory, and I'll affirm your leadership. Somehow it didn't go right. Moses there in some of the assembly, verse number 10, and Moses said to them, listen you rebels! That's not how you win friends and influence people. In fact, that doesn't even sound very godly, does it? Have I been tempted? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All pastors have. Listen you rebels! Give by my God. He stands up, and, and, is, and I don't, again, he must have read the crowd. Something went terribly wrong because you don't sense that. Oh, get this, get this. You don't sense that when he was talking about the rock with God in the tabernacle. Have you ever had times in your prayer closet? Uh, since it's just us family tonight, one of the things I generally pray on Sunday morning I said, Lord, please protect me this morning. When sister or brother so-and-so come and they got something that don't need to be discussed on Sunday morning and they're mad at me, don't let my mind get polluted. God, seal my lips. He ain't found a good superglue yet. <laughs> Somebody comes up and I go, <laughs> we lose it. So Moses loses and says, you rebels. Now watch this. There's something wrong with this. Must we bring water? You send something there? Pride. Must we bring... Where's God in this? Do you see God getting glory here? You don't see that. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Now what is that? Well, that's his way and that's anger. Moses is acting in anger. And then God in His gracious mercy a great amount of water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Now, there's about four things that could be going on here. Maybe all of them are going on here and we need to learn from each one of them. First off, maybe Moses didn't trust God. Maybe the idea... Now, come on now. Maybe the idea of lashing out sounded better. Between the tabernacle and the people, the idea of lashing out just sounded a bit better... Then, speak to the rock. So he does his own thing. He didn't trust God. What was, the undermining, what was the undermining thing this morning? Unbelief. We don't trust God. When we don't trust God, we take matters into our own hands. And that's not. He played God. What did Romans twelve nineteen say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And when when we see a situation and there's sin involved and we act on our own power, that is sin ourselves. We are supposed to trust God to take vengeance. God was going to take care of the situation His way. Moses decided to do it His way. And then, I say pride issue. I think there's some pride there. Must we? Must we? And last thing is this. If in fact... And Paul believes so. And in fact, the rock was some kind of manifestation or representation of God. And, and living water is fixing to come out. Water that gives life is fixing to come out. And that rock was Christ. And striking the rock, he was striking against God and his way of doing things. Um, now, this is why I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 10. On about three different levels, this is a good scripture night for us to just read real quick. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, if there's a church that's alike, the modern-day church is probably the church of Corinth. They were in a very liberal society, a very sexually free society, a society with lots of idols. That was the Corinthian motif there. Okay? Here's what Paul says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers, talking about the ancient Israelites, were all under the cloud, the cloud of God, uh, the pillars of cloud, all passed through the sea, talking about the Red Sea, And all were baptized, went through the experience, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank, and as our verse comes in, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I think it's incredible how Paul believed that Christ was back then because He was and is and shall be, just like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. But God was not pleased with most of them. For they were struck down in the wilderness, right where we are in the book of Numbers, which is in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. In other words, it's better to learn from someone than go through it yourself. Can I have an amen? It's better to learn from someone having open heart surgery because they smoked three packs of cigarettes and you quit smoking, saying, well, I'm going to learn from them. Okay? It's better to learn from someone else. All right? So he says, Don't become idolaters, as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got to play. Let's not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. In a single day, twenty-three people, 23,000 people fell dead. Let's not test Christ, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes, like we read this morning. Nor should we complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the end of the ages has come. So he's saying we in the church age should learn from what the nation of Israel did. Now, by the way, the Old Testament is full of typologies. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. If you look at the nation of Israel as a whole, you will see the Christian life of a whole lot of believers today. I love God. Yes, I do. I hate God. Yes, I do. I love God. I hate God. I love God. I'm somewhere in between. I have faith. Where are you, God? We are We are like a jet pilot with no pilot. Spiritually. And so is the nation of Israel. And that's why Paul is saying, 1,500 years later, learn from the past. And church, learn from their examples. Unbelief will kill you. Unbelief will kill you. Detesting things of God will get you in big, big trouble. Sexual immorality will get you in big, big trouble. Learn from their examples, he says. Learn that. and it gets better. Watch this. Verse 11. Now, these things have them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the end of the ages has come. So, for those of you who tonight are secretly thinking, I would never do that. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. You didn't have to read your mind, did you? Now this is the good part. No, now this is the verse. It does not mean that God won't put more on you than bear. I lost my mother, so God won't put more than you can bear. That's not what this means. It says no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. In other words, every temptation you face, someone else has faced it before. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation He will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. So when the temptations come to be idolaters, when the temptation comes to rise up, eat, and play, when the temptation comes to commit sexual immorality, when the temptation comes to test Christ, God will provide a way of escape. And that way of escape is trusting Him. And by the way, you'll find how to do that in this incredible book we call the Bible. You ought to read your Bible. You ought to read your Bible. It's a great reading. It really is. All right? Incredible. So, so back to Moses now in Numbers chapter twenty. Okay? He raised his hand, and he strikes the rock, does all these different things, all these things are going on, okay? People get water, end of story. Not so fast. Look at this. Look at verse twelve. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, here it is. Remember I said one lack of trust. Because you did not trust Me. You tell me trust isn't important. You tell me it's okay for you to say, well, I believe in God, but don't trust Him. You tell me that. It's important to God that we trust Him, that we believe Him. And I'm telling you what, this is still the biggest thing. God doesn't doesn't need your money, but He knows if He has your money, He has your heart. And this is, in America, in a land of abundance, this is the hardest thing to trust God with. Can I have an amen? If you got none, you want more. if you got a whole lot, you want to hang on to what you got. It's just a hard thing. So he says, Moses, you did not trust me. And he's saying, church, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me in your time. You've got to trust me in your calendar. You've got to trust me in your obedience. You've got to trust me in your resources. You've got to trust me. But Moses, you didn't. You didn't trust me, finish the sentence, to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites. You didn't trust me to do, to bring glory to my name and to affirm your leadership. That's what to show my holiness inside of the Israelites. You will not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. What caused, what caused the children of Israel to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness? You could use two words. Unbelief. Remember the ten came back and said, giants and limb, we can't do it. Two said, yes you can. God said we can. They, choose, they chose to believe the ten and not the two. So they did not believe. They did not believe God. They did not believe Okay. That's what got them in trouble. What over and over again do we see in the 39 years of wanderings? what got them in trouble? Unbelief. 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 What kept Moses out of the Holy Land? Yes, Mary, that's exactly right. In the 40th year, he sinned in such a way in the area of unbelief that God said, you can't enter the Promised Land. Dwayne, he was faithful for 40 years but he was guilty of the same sin that God killed that generation for and God said you can't go in oh did he make it to heaven, yes because the promised land is not heaven the promised land for us particularly is the abundant life heaven is heaven and the promised land is here for us but to enter that to live in that abundant life we got to trust God The reason so many of us are marginally happy in our Christian relationship is because of unbelief. I am telling you as your pastor, and I'll tell me if you want me to throw myself in the pot, the more I trust God, the more the abundant life I will experience, and the more the promised land I will taste. Come on now, children. And the reason we are not is because we are not. Let me say it again. The reason we are not experiencing the abundant promised life is because we are not trusting God. As soon as we don't get our way, as soon as we're not happy, as soon as God's way is not my way, we complain. We get discouraged. We get disillusioned. And if we're not careful, we go right down that path to detesting the very God we say we love. God says you can't go into the promised land. You cannot, Moses, you cannot experience the promised land because of your unbelief. Christian, you cannot experience the promised land if you are a person of unbelief. This is the key. I mean, you can keep, listen, we, as believers, can keep wandering around here in this thing we call Christianity, mostly sometimes happy, sometimes not. Or, we're going say, okay, God, it's January fifteenth, and it's about 8 minutes till 7 tonight, and God starting tonight, I'm going to trust you. If the Word says do it, I'm going to do my best to do it. And if it says don't do it, I'm going to do my best not to do it. And I'm going to do it by your power and your strength. I'm going to choose to obey you. I'm going to choose my master. I'm going to choose what world I'm going to live for. If my husband sins against me, if my, my wife sins against me, if my bro- boyfriend sins against me, if my boss sins against me, I I will not be drugged down into their sin. I choose victory. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm... We allow so often the sins of people to drag us down into the cesspool with them. And you may not have the sin of that person, but when you, when you disbelieve God and don't follow God and dealing with that sin, you're just drugged down in the cesspool with them. It's hugely important. Hugely important. And the Bible says, These are the waters of Meribeth. Meribeth means quarreling. Where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and He showed His holiness to them. Once again, a place is named because of the people's disobedience. Question? What's your Meribeth? Is it this? What's your Meribeth? Is it this? What's your meribeth? Is it a piece of paper you've got hanging on the wall that says, you did, you own, you are, you completed? What's your meribeth? What is it in your life that you're quarreling with God about in exercising unbelief? And that's what's keeping you from experiencing the abundant life. That's the issue that God wants to deal with you tonight. And I'm, I'm glad to report... You know, I, I believe in salvation. I believe in salvation that when God said in the book of, I think it's Numbers, He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. I believe we must be saved when God is calling us. Amen. You don't come to God on His terms, on your terms, you come to God on His terms. You know, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father, or to me, unless the Father draw him. So I think there's a time window for God. It may be a long window. It may be a short window. But God calls men and women to Himself. And you can only come when God is calling. Amen? What I don't see in the Bible, thankfully, is that when God says you reach the point where you never can experience the abundant life. As long as there's confession and repentance, the door to the promised land is always open. Now, there might be consequences to deal with the cause of sin, But again, the door to the promised land, the abundant life, is always open when we confess and when we repent. Does that make sense? One, obey God. Two, don't be drugged down to the cesspool with other people's sin. God does not understand. But God, you know what a jerk he is. God, you know what a jerkette she is. God doesn't understand. God says, let me handle the jerk and the jerkette. He's good at it. Let me be God. You just trust me. Just trust me. Will you bow your head right there? So, what world are you going to live for? What master are you going to serve? Are you going to hit the rock and thus somehow despise the holiness of God? Are you going to speak to the rock and God get the glory? and you are under-strengthened, under-girded, that's what I'm looking for, under-girded, and your position as a believer affirmed. So the world will come to you and say, I want what you've got. When they're in trouble, like what one preacher said, when, when you go over the edge and you sin hugely, you know, people that have jumped off the edge morally don't shout to their friends that are jumping with them, what should we do? They go find the nerd back in the office who loves Jesus, and you get a text, you get a phone call, and they say, hey, would you help me please? Can we have lunch together? I'm in deep trouble. That's what we want, folks. And that happens when we speak to the rock. God gets the glory, and we are affirmed as believers. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. Father, tonight, I know the danger of this. I just know the danger of this. How many of us, Father, are missing the promised land? Because we've been drugged down by other people's sins. By the nuclear waste of their atomic blast. We live in the the radiation zone. And we're being pulled down to their level. May we rise up tonight. May we trust You. May we speak to the rock. May we take our burdens. May we take our concerns. May we take our hurts and talk to the rock. And God, may You receive the glory from that. And Father, may the world know that we know You.